0: And Welcome to the New Zealand Property Market Podcast, brought to you by CoreLogic, produced by Agents TV for the 17th of May 2021. I'm head of research in the Glue, and I'm joined by our chief economist, Calvin Davidson, down in Christchurch. Calvin, how you going, mate? Good weekend. Yeah, very good. Yeah, not a lot to report.
1: Really, the highlight was uh went out to a kid's birthday party. So, uh, pretty exciting for them, pretty um, hectic for the parents, and, and certainly the parents hosting the party, that's for sure. But uh, yeah, the food, I was saying before that, you know, the food, uh, Pretty much doesn't change through the years. Those old favourites of chips and dip and Cheerios and fairy bread—they're all. They would have been at a party I went to when I was five, and, and it's still the same now. So, so that was cool. You know, the, the old favourites are always good. But um, yeah, back into another week of work and a, and a busy one. So all good. How are you?
0: Indeed. Yeah, all good, mate. Yeah, those absolute classic birthdays. They're fun times, right? Um, you know, a good weekend here as well. Um, didn't actually have a game of football myself, but ended up watching our first team, of course, in the, the Chatham Cups, so the big knockout competition across the whole country. And our boys got a big win, 4-1 over a team in the above division, Petone. So uh, the, that's a pretty good win for the Island Bay lads. So I uh, went down and watched them and stuck around for a few drinks. So that no, was a good little, good little afternoon and evening on Saturday, actually. So uh, very happy and didn't feel too bad on Sunday. So that's always a nice little win the chalk off as well um but yeah mate. as I say busy week coming up on one of the things obviously from my perspective is uh going to be going to the, the lockup for the budget on Thursday. So you go in there and, you know, it's been three and a half hours or whatever, and they pop out the documents to you when you get that time to sort of write a piece or get your take on, on what the budget means. And of course, I'll be focusing on the housing side of things and, and whatnot. So we'll have a bit more to come on that, of course. But that's uh, that's the big thing I'm looking forward to later this week. Um, but before we sort of look at what else is coming up this week, best to recap what happened uh, in the last week, um, and the, I suppose one key thing that you've been working at quite hard Um, is the first home buyer report, which is going to media today under embargo until tomorrow. I thought we could still touch on a few of the high-level stats there. And, you know, one of the key things, the big, big things we're introducing this time around is we've looked at the ages of first home buyers. It's a big question, as you know, is it getting harder and people are getting older before they buy their first home? We did some work alongside Equifax to bring some age data to the actual data that we've got, which is all very property based, of course. So just wonder if you want to touch on a couple of those high level stats that we no doubt think are going to be picked up by the media. And um, we can sort of talk about that. But as I said, it'll be hitting people um, the public tomorrow.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, well, as you say, those age figures, um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of interesting stuff in there, but those age ones, I guess, have never been seen before in a New Zealand context, I don't think. I've certainly never come across them. And and actually, probably contrast to what people might think, that they're showing that the age of the average 1st home buyer has actually stayed pretty steady at about 34 years in the last three to four years, so pretty flat. And it might seem strange to people, because you'd think with those affordability pressures that age might have risen. And so, yeah, there's the, speculating. There's a few things going on there. I mean, access to those KiwiSaver pots is, is is helping people. Those pots are getting bigger, of course, all the time. And we've also found that there's more KiwiSaver withdrawals per transaction. So, you know, people are, are bunching up or, or a couple's both withdrawing, for example. So that's one factor. Um, potentially also compromising on the type of property. There's a little bit of, there's a few hints of that. In the stats and report that a little bit of a shift towards perhaps smaller dwellings which are obviously cheaper and yeah there's always the bank of mum and dad hard to quantify but you hear a lot about how that's going on and potentially people are starting to save just that little bit earlier they realize that it's going to take them longer to save so they they perhaps are starting earlier and, and it's keeping that age flat so yeah real interesting stuff in there and that'll come out obviously tomorrow. But yes, a few other things and hints that, that first-time buyers just struggling a little bit in the first quarter of the year with, with rapidly rising prices, of course. Um, that's, of course, putting upwards pressure on that deposit that they need to save. So, yeah, that that share was just faltering a bit. And I guess from that perspective, the government would say that their interventions have been well-timed, um, and we have to see how that plays out, of course. But there is also this other element that, that first-time buyers are pretty keen on new builds. And we've talked before about how the the, the way they stand now, the rules, I know mean, they're all still up for consultation, but it, it seems like investors are going to be pushed towards that new build sector, where actually first-time buyers are quite keen. So, you know, you, you give on one hand and take on the other. It could be the, the government says, well, you know, inter- interventions are very well-timed, but just be careful because, you know, it could be that actually first-time buyers are a little bit crowded out of the, the market they like. So, yeah, there's there's a bunch of stuff in there. Also, what first time buyers are paying, what types of properties, where it's all going on. So,
0: um, yeah, look out for it. Yeah, I think that yeah, that you're touching a lot of great things there. I think also there's difference in the regions, and that's um, you know that's I think that's a pretty granular report. and you know, we do get the insights right down at each sort of city, town, TA, pretty much. Um, and, you know, I think one of the other things that sticks out just shows, you know, how much more affordable somewhere like Christchurch is as well for that one of those main centres as well. So I do expect that to be sort of picked up on by the media. And the other thing was, and that's something we've talked about quite frequently is, you know, the amount of people, as first-time buyers just said, they're able to, you know, compromise and yes, using KiwiSaver, but also the fact that not every single 1st home buyer requires that 20% deposit. You know, there is the allowance in the LVR speed limits to have those people that don't need the 20%. And, you know, from the Reserve Bank data, we have seen that, you know, plenty of those are, are taking up that option and, um, you know, and very few other owner-occupiers, which means that that speed limit is mostly all those first-time buyers who are yeah, using 5%, 10%, whatever it is. And there's a few more products out there as well coming into to help first-time buyers to get into the market as well. So, you know, I think that there's, um, there's plenty in there, lots of great insights, um, and, and it won't be built upon in the future as well. And I think, you know, it's... Um, It's just great to get that age data as well, start to understand the people and not just the property. So, as you say, take a look out for that one. Um, It's it's uh, it's nice little looking report as well. Um, So yeah, that'll be that'll be out and available on the website and everything tomorrow. Um, So yeah, looking forward to to no doubt getting a bit of coverage on that. So. I suppose tied into this, you know, we talk about first home buyers, and yep, they're competing with investors, and you talk about the changes there as well. And um, one of the key things that came out last week, and I have to give a bit of a shout out to Ed from OPS, who was uh, on our podcast just the other week, and he sort of alerted us to this change from the ANZ, um, where they have changed the way that serviceability works for investors. Uh, it's basically, a mandate from ANZ going out to brokers, I expect, and, and everyone else saying, you know, now when you're when they're calculating with their calculator from ANZ assesses how um, investors can service their mortgage. They're only accounting for 65% of their rented income towards that uh, as as, as their income for their serviceability, whereas previously and for new builds continuously or or for future is at 75%. So um, really interesting to see that change. Obviously, we kind of knew something like this was happening. You know, when you know that it's about around the interest deductibility, of course, the fact that investors are going to have a slightly higher tax bill at the end of the year. And so the banks obviously know this. And so they need to account for this when they're saying how much can you truly afford to pay off if your expenses are going to be greater at the end of the year. And so this is just sort of an actual, you know, physical change now we're seeing in the calculators that they um, that they use to assess how much an investor can borrow. And Ed, you know, has done the sort of spreadsheets and he's sort of done the work on it in the background to figure out that, you know, depending on the yield of the property, and there's a number of different factors in there, of course, you know, your family makeup and your other income sources. But in general, he's sort of saying it's between about a 10 to 15% drop in the amount that investors will be able to borrow because of this change to 65% of the rental income used towards their overall serviceability. And that's quite a significant change. And so I suppose when you think about that and what we're interested in is that macro level, what does it actually mean? It means that those investors aren't going to be able to borrow quite as much, which means they're not going to be able to pay the same. They were you know, last month or the month before. And that's going to reduce that competition for those, those properties as well. And maybe there's going to be less price pressure um, across the board now because those investors just can't borrow the same sums of money they could a couple of months ago. And so again, that could provide some some, some respite for those first home buyers who have previously found it quite hard to compete up against those investors who um, you know, were, were able to continue to borrow those large sums of money. So we to see how this one played out. Of course, it's just ANZ at this rate. Um, they all have the different factors and different ways they calculate serviceability One will be the same from the different banks, but no doubt you'll sort of see tweaks one way or another, which is going to mean it's across the board. It's not just ANZ who are are making it a little bit bit more difficult for those investors to borrow the same sums of money they could previously. So really good insight there. As I said, thanks to Ed for alerting it to us. Um, you know, but it sounds like it's pretty much in the market now. Um, so yeah, it's so really, really good to know. And again, it's just sort of another thing that's going to reduce the level of demand at the prices, the level prices are at right now. So I know you were on that email too, mate. Is there anything else you sort of picked up on looking through some of those rules or playing with the calculators or anything? Yeah, I think
1: just reemphasizes that wedge that's really strongly emerging between <coughs> with it for investors, the wedge that's emerging between them buying an existing property from now on versus a new build so you know you can continue with ANZ to to count 75% of your rent if, if you buy a new build versus 65 if you buy an existing property so i think it just this is another thing that and ANZ of course has a big market share so it so it helps uh, or helps the right word but certainly reinforces that wedge um, for me i guess a big question is what happens longer term so for the moment if you hold a rental property you've got a mortgage against it. I believe, according to the rules, the ANZ rules, you can still use seventy-five percent. So that sixty-five only applies to purchases from now on. But of course, we know that for those existing holdings, that that interest deductibility is going to taper off over three or four years. So if it's sixty-five for existing purchases from now on, you'd assume that that seventy-five will eventually go to sixty-five as well. So. You know, it's, it, you would think for for existing holdings, it's going that way too, let alone could there be further changes? Could it go to 55? So, you know, this it's, it's just another thing that is out there in the market and, and, and gee, it's it's really, um, you know, investors are still still in the guns pretty much. So, yep, interesting to see how it'll play out. Yeah,
0: exactly. I think that that's right? it just really puts a bit more of a light in the sand in terms of what investors can or can't do, whereas when you demand were reduced, we knew that it was, you know, the changes were going to encourage greater equity anyway and so there's all those things that obviously mean you're going to, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to want to borrow as much as you could have done in the past and now you're not going to be able to anyway so i suppose there's two things there right it's the the willingness and the to actually do something and borrow those large sums of money given you're not going to make quite the same and then there's the ability to because of the banks or uh, reserve bank themselves whatever it is so I suppose it's just measuring those two things and this is just yeah, something that's going to affect the ability of people to borrow as opposed to the willingness which is what we were sort of been previously talking about so that's I suppose a different split there and um, can you get to all this of course there's been discussion around uh, you know the changes are they going to see an increase in rent across the board um, I know that last week we did get the April rental price index data from stats New Zealand probably still a little bit too early to say you know you're going to start to see you know if there was an increase it's going to flow through in that data but I know that you did take a look at it anyway mate do you want to give us the high level overview of that data and, um, and if there was any change
1: yeah the the existing tenancies. Up about 2.9% annually in terms of those rents, and for new tenancies, about 3.2%. So both pretty much 3%. You'd call that sort of contained rental growth, I guess, or normal rental growth. So, you know, nothing to see here is, is probably the message yet. But as you say, it's it's pretty early days. I mean, we know those tax changes only kicked in at the end of March, and these figures cover April. We're only one month in. It's it's pretty early to expect that. You might be you might be seeing some real genuine market changes from from those tax policies so early days but for now there's there's not much sign of of extra rental pressure over and above what what there was already but of course we'll have to wait and see because it, it'll take some time to play out so yeah we'll,
0: we'll keep watching yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, it's, it was never going to happen you know, immediately. I don't know immediately. people are that reactive to go massive costs, you know, I'm going to whack up my rent by 50 bucks. So like I say, not expecting it there. And that 2.9% is pretty consistent over time to The existing tenancies increase per year is about 3% pretty consistently. Um, and that's kind of what we've been saying is that it, it, it increases at about that rate anyway. We don't expect to see the step change. Um, but but yeah, we'll certainly be looking out over the next couple of months and couple of quarters, I suppose, to see where that where that figure goes to. So um, yeah, always always a good one to look back on. Oh, and that, and um, if we look at the other release last week, was of course the Rhines. Data that came out for April, um, you know. So we as I regularly say we sort of focus on the sales volumes data that they release, as well as the house price index data. Just wondered, did you have a chance to look at the uh, volumes? There, I know year-on-year comparisons are obviously a bit buggered these days with with the lockdown happening a year ago. Um, but what's the sort of take on on how you know active the market was? I suppose from a volumes perspective, and um, I can sort of touch on some of the index data. Yeah, I, I think the
1: volumes figures pretty messy to interpret of course as you've said you can't compare to a year ago because it means absolutely nothing I, you know you compare back two or three or four years that's sort of the benchmark and so it's, it's all a little messy we had school holidays we had you know ANZAC we had Easter so there's a little bit hard to interpret but I think when you cut through all of that stuff you I think you can sort of see signs of a, a bit of a tailing off and and that's what you'd anticipate it was still a strong number for sure but just some hints of of slowdown and and that's what we've been anticipating, of course, because think that, you know, there's LVR, all the things we've just talked about, as well as the fact that those LVRs have been now being, been in play for three or four months, you know, that 40% deposit, really the bank started to impose that tail end of last year or early this year. So you'd anticipate that sales will have slowed. And as we covered before, of course, if, if some were pulled forward to, to beat some of these rules, well, you'd get an offsetting weaker period later so it's, it, there's no kind of surprises here um, and you have to look a little bit hard to to, to convince yourself but it, it does feel like there's a little bit of a sign of a slowdown in there and yeah I, I wouldn't credit much of it yet to the tax changes of course because as we've said it's it's pretty early days but that will start to take hold over the coming months so yeah I, I suppose you know, one month doesn't make a trend but I'd, I'd be anticipating that that may maybe those signs of slowdown would, would start to become a bit clearer.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think you're probably right. I think the interesting thing has been um, I think, you know, some of the headlines and some of the data was looking at said strongest April for five years. So again, last year is almost irrelevant. But even the prior couple of years to that, you know, to see more sales this April than, than the last few years before, that was kind of surprising to me. I think you're right. It's definitely a bit of a slowdown in terms of activity, but still relatively healthy. And maybe that, you know, maybe that does reflect that there's still quite a bit of demand out there. Um, you know, there's still people that are using outside the speed limits of the LVRs. And there's still enough of pent up demand that haven't been able to buy the a property you know in the previous six months as sort of the market had been going so strong that that's still keeping things going um you know i think days to sell was still relatively low as well so i think you know it does show that yeah there's you're right the the market sort of slowing down to a degree but there's still enough of that you know pent up demand they're holding the market up a little bit and when you look at the house price index data, which of course as we say is always the better measure of what's happening with values it probably again it's still too early to, to call too much, you know, one month, and the, the, the house price index from Ryan's is a little bit more volatile, because it's only a one month index. Um, but the, the key thing I think you can see the slowdown and the, the rate of value growth, where over April, they had a 06 percent increase. Previously in March, it was 2.7% over that one month, so pretty strong. And prior to that 5.2% in February, as I mentioned, it is quite volatile. So, we don't get too excited about one month, but I think there's a pretty clear trend there of that slowdown in the rate of value growth. And I'd expect that to be, you know, to continue on in May to see that, you know, very really, really little growth or, or maybe even already flattening out as well. So, um, yeah, we'll obviously keep, keep track on that one, but uh, I think that that's probably the best sign of, you know, value growth, uh, value change anyway. And then, you know, what we've been obviously turning to is what's happening from an activity perspective using our um, early market indicators data, which we talk about every week. Um, and I think that, you know, we we've, we've sort of talked about the fact that, yes, there's a bit of a slowdown from demand, from those valuations being ordered, and that's still the truth. You know, it's still about 10% below the last six months, but actually it's, you know, flattened out and it's looking pretty healthy still. Um, so there's a number of people still going into the bank and getting to that stage where they're ordering a valuation. And similarly, from a listings perspective, we're not seeing a massive spike um, in the valuation and the, sorry, the um, appraisals being generated. We're just seeing basically consistent activity from the agents, which will lead to listings, you know, being, you know, pretty healthy as well, uh, but certainly no spike of listings coming to market where you're seeing, you know, investors getting out of the market, which is, you know, what some of, some of the uh, commentary we're hearing the last sort of month or six weeks we've sort of been talking about. So, so yeah, I think that's where we sort of landed in terms of market activity. It's much more, you know, I'd just say sort of passive, you know, sort of just continuing on without being too extreme either way, um, and we'll continue to, to track that one anyway. Um, from an economic perspective, Calvin, um, and if there's anything else you want to add from that, but otherwise I thought, I know the New Zealand Activity Index was supposed to be out last week. Did the data actually come out in the end? Did you get a chance to check that this morning?
1: No, oh, I've checked this morning, not out yet. So they've, they've still only got the March results up there for the, the NZAC. So yeah, I'll, I'll wait with bated breath. As we've talked about, it's not going to mean much because it's a year-on-year comparison and comparing back to, to April last year. So it's going to be very, very strong guaranteed um, and we'll just have to probably give it a couple of months until it becomes useful again so but yep I'll, I'll, I'll
0: keep an eye out for that and report as required. Yeah I mean obviously we, we talk about this being obviously a good early look at GDP and what's happening but yeah it's only a year on year comparison which as we mentioned with the lockdown it's pretty much irrelevant. I wonder if that's why it hasn't been released And they might be actually figuring it out themselves as to how they can make it a useful measure rather than just the year-on-year comparison so being able to maybe give that month-on-month or early read quarter to quarter i don't know but i just wonder if that's maybe one of the reasons that's been held back because it's kind of looked like this massive percentage increase um, but you know useless for anyone to actually interpret so i do wonder if that's what's held it back but um yeah i suppose we'll just have to wait and see on that one yep yep agree and i mean
1: i hope that is what they're doing because it it
0: would that would be more useful so yeah Let's see. Yeah, something month on month or, yeah, who knows? We'll wait and see. So, yeah, hopefully. Um, cool, mate. Well, I think that's just going to look ahead to what's coming up. As I mentioned, we've got the, the budget out this week. There's been quite a lot of focus on this. There's lots of, you know, people chatting about what could be included. From, from a housing perspective, I think generally it's going to be, you know, what sort of investment on, on building new houses. But I'm sure there'll be plenty of other little things in between the lines too. So we'll we'll pay close attention to that one. I'm about to go and film um, this month's video as well. So um, we're going to do that. And so that'll be up later on in the week. The other one from a data perspective, I think, net migration data. Is there anything else you want to round out the week with or anything else you're looking ahead to this week, Kelvin? I think on
1: the, on the net migration figures, yeah, it's, it's going to be boring again. You know, we know inflows and outflows are be low and the net figure will be low, so once again it's about I guess what happens longer term and, and, and borders reopening and who knows when that'll be. so I, I guess we're in a little bit of limbo with, with migration at the moment it's just just waiting to see what the what the result of borders reopening is um, but those figures are out you know we'll put them in the spreadsheet and and, and move on um, but related to that I suppose we we published our chip index last week around construction costs and has had you know some some decent coverage we've had some interesting questions about it and and I suppose, the migration figures play into that and we've seen it looks like a bit of a turning point for construction costs finally the the capacity issues that are being faced in that in that sector now seem to be flowing through more clearly to increase cost pressures um, both on on labor and materials so yeah and there's lots of reasons to think that actually those construction cost pressures will will stay pretty intense you know if, if we keep consents high the industry is going to be busy which you know pick up a net migration longer term would just reinforce so i think you know, longer term there's 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 going to be some pressures on for, for those construction costs, which probably isn't that welcome if if we want people to keep building new houses, you know, they need to be affordable. But if 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 prices are rising, that's going to be a bit of an issue. So yeah, there's 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 some stuff to watch there for sure.
0: Yeah, totally agree. I think there's a couple of things there as well and tied into the budget, of course. I mean, I know last time when the government had the announcement in that, you know, that March where they talked about the introductibility and the other changes, bright line tests, whatnot. One of the things we wondered then was, you know, the cost to build was really high. We wonder if there needs to be some intervention from the government to reduce, you know, subsidies, or you know, increase subsidies or whatever to reduce the overall cost to build as well so that you do have more encouragement for people to, to go and build those houses. And we know there's obviously land restrictions and there's all sorts of things tied into this. But one of them is absolutely around the cost to build. So, you know, maybe we will see something in the budget this week. We'll certainly keep an eye out for it. Um, and, and yeah, the other thing from the migration perspective is, of course, there's been a lot more talk about our migration settings. And, yeah, how do we, you know, I think there's more um, MIQ slots opening up and they want to get some skilled workers and, you know, will that will that include construction? So I suppose, you know, there's a lot tied into this. Um, you know, from a construction perspective, the migration settings, the government, the budget—that's you know, all. It's all kind of tied in together, and so it's going to be an interesting one to see how it how it sort of plays out. Um, because, yeah, as you say, we need we need need more people in the industry to be able to uh, keep up with the amount of demand for new builds as well. Especially if, as you say, from all the changes, is going to push more people towards building. And if they do get these settings changed in the RMA, I know there's big changes happen there. Of course, splitting into three different you know acts and and encouraging more and, and whatnot, that, um, yeah, we're going to need those people to continue to build these properties. So, yeah, I um, can't remember if I mentioned last week, but um, we are we are engaging in, in design and builders, well, very shortly anyway, um, to do an extension of our house. So I suppose we're going to, much like you're already obviously building your property, we'll start to be uh, one of those numbers in there as well and start to get the anecdotal evidence of the impact and the cost to build, cost to do extensions, um, and of course the capacity constraints there to try and get someone to actually build this, this extension as well so um yeah we'll have a couple of couple of very close to home uh examples there it actually makes me what makes me wonder where, where your house is at actually we probably need to have a quick update on on the latest on your house and how things are going there yeah we're pretty
1: pretty uh rapid progress actually that's quite amazing and uh, we've been helped by the weather in Christchurch has been a incredibly dry summer so we we're building at absolutely the right point in time um you know didn't have to dry out the frame or anything like that so very very good probably uh probably move in in a couple of months hopefully fingers crossed six seven weeks so that'll be that'll be really good and, and feels like a, a pretty rapid build time i think i mean from a personal perspective we were pretty lucky to lock in the price uh a year or so ago maybe even 18 months i can't quite recall she's been a long one but, but yeah, so so we were you know we were pretty much locked in. but already we've had to change a few smaller items because of of supply constraints. You know, I think we'd changed some tiles, maybe even sort of light switches. these are smaller products, but these are the things which you start to hear and, and may well start to hear more and more about of of not only shortages of supply but but cost rises too. So yeah, she's going to be going be an interesting one, but as I say, lucky to have locked in that contract. Um, and just on the just on the budget yeah i mean it feels like it's going to be about that supply side it's going to be about um bringing forward land infrastructure these types of things but gee i mean the the interest deductibility thing was was out of left field who knows what what could be in the budget I, i wouldn't i wouldn't rule out a surprise either but it feels like it's going to be about those those supply issues which i guess have been reasonably well telegraphed in advance so yeah, two o'clock Thursday, although you'll know in advance, but I won't because you can't communicate. So no, That's on.
0: right. Yeah, you're got to go in, all, all communication off and everything. So you're yeah, certainly my first lockup for this sort of thing. So we'll just to see how that one goes. And uh, you yeah, no pressure on me just to try and actually get something written and, and get my interpretation, of course, out there. But yeah, keep an eye out for for something. We'll, we'll we'll put something out later in the week. And I've already got a presentation locked into the Auckland Property Investors Association for Friday as well. So um, good chance to actually, you know, they, they sort of said, you know, put it in plain English. And I think that's the thing with the budget it can be pretty massive um, and pretty comprehensive that people want to understand what it means for them and that's certainly um, the, way we'll, the sort of way we'll look at it is put that very heavy property lens on and then um, try and distill it down to make it nice and easy to understand what impact it's uh, likely to have and where that spending is going to come from and, and the amount of revenue they might even be getting from things like the tax changes as well. So yeah there'll be plenty to look out for on that one and um, we'll certainly talk about it next week as well but there might be something a little bit before that too so we'll keep an eye out um, and 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 wait and see what happens there. Cool. No doubt there'll be a bit of extra tax so on bows and cigarettes and um
1: yeah,
0: all, all sure. in on. <laughs> Yeah, the old classics. Yeah, exactly. They just keep wrapping those ones up. Good point. Um, now, nah, cool. All right, mate. Well, that's us for today then. Um, thank you, as per usual. Good to get your thoughts and uh, and obviously well done with the first home buy report too. Look forward to hopefully doing a bit of media the next couple of days and then seeing that one hit the hit the media and the papers and whatnot. And uh, just leave me to say thank you very much for listening. Please do subscribe. Hit that auto download button and give us a, a rating as well, please. And feel free to get in touch with us too. Um, you know, if you're doing any specific questions about things like the budget or anything else that's going on, let us know. We're both available on Twitter, LinkedIn, and our email address is included in the show notes as well. All right, mate. Well, uh, that's us. We'll get out for today. My name's Nick. He's Calvin. You've been listening to the New Zealand Property Market Podcast, Martiwah.